All right, ready to start day two. Didn't like I ran off too many. I lost a couple, but not a whole lot. So <clears throat> we'll see. <laughs> we have a, you know, in the seals, whenever they just can't take it anymore, they, they have to take off their helmet, walk to the middle of a field, ring a bell three times, and place their helmet down. That's their way of saying, I'm out of here. So <clears throat> we just don't carry a bell with us. So we don't always know who's out of here and who's not. So <laughs> we have, uh, it's called DOR, a drop on request. And we get, uh, <laughs> we get a couple of them from time to time. <clears throat> but I'll tell you this. If I can run you off, I guarantee you the devil will. All right? So, because uh, he doesn't like it. He doesn't like it when you start getting results. He doesn't like it whenever you start getting the grit to just stick and fight no matter what. Uh, that's, so that's... Um, you know, it's, a, it's what we're talking about during the, uh, or just before here, that um, <clears throat> the devil's not stupid. He may be crazy, but he's not stupid. And <clears throat> he has, uh, he's been around a while. He's figured some things out. And one of the things that he's figured out is that if a Christian decides to go against him, if he just stands still and doesn't move, most Christians will give up and leave. And so basically you come down to a staring contest to see who's going to break first or who's going to blink first and who's going to leave. And most of the time, if you would just stand, you can outlast him. But there's two ways to do it. One is just get the grit to stand and start doing it. But secondly, you also have to, you can and should develop a reputation of standing. And once you develop that reputation in the spirit realm, they'll start to leave a lot faster. And because you start to, uh, they start to realize that you're not budging. And that uh, basically faith is simply deciding what the object or the conclusion is that you're after and then not moving until you get it. And I know, well, a lot of people don't like that definition of faith. But essentially faith is nothing more than courage. It's the guts to stand when everybody else runs. And so a lot of people think faith is some mystical whimsical type of thing that you can you can never measure you can never know where you stand let me tell you you are as big as your, as the last problem you beat and you're, you are just slightly smaller than the last problem that beat you and so if you want to have faith all, generally all you have to do is stand and you continue to stand faith is not quantity it's quality it's the ability to stand when everybody else runs it's the ability to, to continue going whenever you don't feel like it so uh, we will we'll probably talk a little bit more about that a little bit later on. If you have your manual, you can, you can go ahead and go to chapter 1. <clears throat> See, I told you we were going to get into it today. So <clears throat> we're actually going to cover it. <clears throat> we don't always cover all of the manual looking at it page by page. However, it all does come out. Since I wrote the manual and put it together, it comes out whether I'm reading from it or not. And the reason I... Even the only reason we even put out the manual is so that when you go back home or wherever you came from, you can continue studying, and it gives you things that will help cue up in your memory things that I've said in the actual training. The manual is not complete; it is just there to help your memory. And then as you work through it, things will come out, and the more you teach it, the more God will start to put things in it from you directly. Uh, one of the things you want to remember is that. You absorb what is useful, reject what is useless, and add what is specifically your own, all right, by experience. So, uh, but before you can reject what you would consider useless, that doesn't mean what you hear me say that you don't like, you reject. What it means is you see if it works, you put it into application, and after you've tried to make it work, if it still doesn't quite work for you, then you adapt it, all right? So that's the keys. Now, we're in chapter 1, <clears throat> on page 3. The Word of God is our ultimate rule of faith and action. You say, well, shouldn't we already know that? Yes, you should. And most Christians claim it. If I went to most churches, <clears throat> most Christian churches, they will tell you, yes, we believe the Word of God. We believe the Bible, it's the absolute Word of God, and we live by it. <clears throat> and if that were absolutely true, we would not have denominations. And so I have to bring it in and help you understand that the Word of God is absolutely our rule of faith. Because if we have anything other than the Word of God, if your experiences, or if if, if, yeah, if your experiences is your rule of faith, 
then every time I give you a scripture, you're going to give me an experience or a doctrine or something else and say, yeah, but I know the Bible says I'm healed by stripes, but I had this disease once or I had this thing or I've been praying. or I... Okay, first off, if the Bible says that healing is for today, healing is for today. Simple as that. If it says, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say I don't care what your experience is. I do care. But my job is to get your experience to line up with the Word of God. Right? Not to agree with your experience. Okay, well, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Okay? The, 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 I hear that a lot. Well, you know, God, God answers prayer, and sometimes He answers yes, and sometimes it's no, and sometimes it's wait. Okay? That is not Bible. The Bible says that in the promise that in Christ all promises in, in Him are yea, and in Him, amen. amen. That's yes, and so be it. Not no, and not maybe. Not wait. Not anything else. The weight is usually, <clears throat> mostly, and let me, I have to kind of be specific here because there are areas in your life, if you're seeking where to go or you know, certain specifics, then it can be, there can be a time element between you and God of you finding out specifics. But anything, <clears throat> and this applies to warfare or anything else, spiritual warfare especially, anything that is included in the atonement, right? There is not even a question about. Anything included in the atonement, you do not have to talk to God about. You obey. You, you have the experience line up with what the atonement covered. If it's healing, it has to do with sickness or disease, anything along those lines, there's no praying about it. There's no fasting about it. It is strictly beat it. Simple as that. So there's no, yeah, but, but this time, say, I'm a good Christian and I'm going through this and God is trying. No, no. Jesus bore that. Sickness and disease is not sent to make you better. It's sent to kill you. And the only thing, the only reason it doesn't is because you have an immune system, thanks to God, that will keep little things from killing you. If your immune system was not in you, then any kind of disease could kill you. Any little infection would kill you. That's what is basically called AIDS. AIDS, the disease of AIDS does not kill people technically, as, as we would think of it. It is the other, usually, there are other Sicknesses that come in, and because the body's immune system is so weak, they die from other things. And so, what I want to emphasize is that anything that is in the atonement, it's yours. And anything that, you know, anything, we, we have a promise. He said, lay hands on the sick. Believers will lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Isn't that right? Isn't that pretty simple? Now, Here's a good rule of thumb. Anything that stands between you and the fulfillment of a promise of God is a devil. Isn't that simple? Anything that stands... If God gives you a promise, anything that stands between you and the fulfillment of that promise... Now, when I say if God gives you a promise, I have to qualify it because I don't mean... I do include a prophetic word in that. But I'm... Primarily talking about a scriptural promise, something in the Bible that says this is a promise. And so anything that stands between you and the fulfillment of that promise is a devil for you to destroy. It is for you to overcome. The Bible says it to those that overcome, right? Not to those that sneak in or slide by. Most people want to slide through life without any troubles. And they think that if there's troubles, God must be against them or they messed up. The early church expected trouble. And the early church knew it was coming. Now, they didn't relish it. They didn't believe for it. You know, because a lot of times, even like today, man, the Jehovah Witnesses, if we're just going to go by persecution, they're obviously the right church. They're right. But you see, so you can't just say because something is persecuted that they're right. But I'm telling you this, if you're not being persecuted, you're not on the right trail yet. You haven't made enough religious devils mad. You haven't made, <clears throat> you haven't gained notice in the spiritual realm. And so there comes a place where you have to decide that you're going to go forward regardless of anything else, right? And anything that stands in your way. Now, when I say in your way, I don't mean some little choice that you made. I'm talking about the promise of God, a clear-cut promise that He has given you. Anything that stands between you and the fulfillment of that promise is there for you to defeat. Not there for you to become an Israelite and say, Oh Lord, why didn't you just kill us back in Egypt? Why did you let me go through all this? Why are you taking me through this now? Why are you letting this happen? Quit being an Israelite. Become a new covenant son or daughter. And look at that thing and say, Glory to God, here's another opportunity to prove God's word true. And I'm going to overcome it. 
And if I overcome it, I know that my place is guaranteed in heaven. Your spot. You understand what I'm? You understand the the, the gist I'm talking, right? Because he didn't say those that don't have any trouble are going to make it into heaven. He said those that overcome. Well, you don't overcome if you don't have any problems. So do you see another scripture? And this has never happened to me yet. I'm waiting for it. But there's a scripture that says, whenever you to to said what it tells you is to count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations and trials and testings. I've never yet had somebody call me on the phone and going, glory to God, Brother Curry. Man, I'm going through a trial. Glory to God. And I just want to share it with you. And I tell you, I'm having the time of my life. I tell you. (laughs) That's never happened yet. I'm waiting for it. Right? But the Bible says to count it joy when you go through it. Why? Because it means you've been noticed by hell. That's what it means. It means that hell has noticed you. Hell knows where you're at. And you've gained enough of a reputation that it's starting to send a few people after you. You know, during uh, World War II, before the Normandy invasion, <clears throat> well, actually before that, there was a general that, the only general that the Nazis both hated and feared to some degree was General George S. Patton Jr. Don't let the junior fool you. That's the Patton you know about. Okay? Just most people don't know he's a junior. <clears throat> and he was, he got into trouble because he slapped two soldiers. They were in a, a tent, in a medical tent, an infirmary. And he went in and, and found them. And there wasn't anything physically wrong with them. They were nervous and were having nervous problems because of the, the battle, what they call battle fatigue. And he slapped them. One of them he slapped with his glove in the back of his hand. And the other one, he actually pulled his gun and said he ought to shoot him right there on the spot. And so uh, both those incidents got reported. And it got in the newspapers, and pretty soon Eisenhower was under pressure to relieve him of duty. Basically did, to a degree, pulled him back into England. And they, they asked Eisenhower, why don't you just fire him and send him home? And he said, I can't. He wins battles. And people forget sometimes, politicians don't win wars. Okay? Usually when politicians are in charge of wars, they continue on for an extended period of time. A soldier, a warrior, wins battles quickly. Norman Schwarzkopf is a good example of what we had last time. And so, if you want to win a battle, you send a warrior in. You don't send a politician. Because a a politician tries to make nice with everybody. A warrior goes in and says, okay, let me tell you how it's going to be. You're going to surrender or you're going to die. Which one do you want? Right? That's pretty much the way it was. And so, that's the attitude that you have to develop. Right? Because you are in absolute control in every spiritual battle. Right? It's up to you. Your commander-in-chief has given you everything you need to win. And anything, anytime you don't win, it's because you fail to use a tool or a weapon that he has provided. Simple as that. Now, one of those tools is faith. That's usually where everybody wins out on because you act like you don't know what it is. And so you don't know if you got it or not. I can tell if you have it. If you're still standing, you got it. Right? If you don't, because the Bible says very clearly, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Isn't that right? Well, then what does that mean? Keep standing. You get more strength. Right? It's not up to God. God is not in charge of your failures. Don't blame Him. Right? He's always won. Right? Jesus didn't lose one battle. You need to think of these things. Right? He's your example. You should win every battle. Right? You're not here for cannon fodder for the devil. You're here to win. Right? He's here for you to practice on. You say, I'm not sure I agree with that. Well, you like the Old Testament. Let's go back there. In the Old Testament... It says at one place it said that there were actually five tribes that God left in Canaan just so the tribes that, and the people that came up, the next generation that came up that didn't know how to fight and had never been in the war, would know how to fight. Now think about that. How would you like to be one of the tribes that God said, no, you're going to stay here because i got some kids that's going to come this way later and I want them to learn how to whoop you. See? But that's what God did. All right? that's what, people say, well, how come with demons and stuff, you know, if we were in warfare, we could just kill them? Yeah, and pretty soon you'd be out of uh, enemy. What would there be to overcome? So, yeah, they're here for you to overcome. That's their purpose. Right? Help them fulfill their purpose. That's simple? Right. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> everything's got a purpose, right? Yours is to win, theirs is to lose. Let's get in the right game. So, now, Patton, they sent back to England for a time. They relieved him of duty. And sent him back to England. And eventually they put him in charge of what they called a ghost army. And the ghost army was only an army on paper. In other words, there was no soldiers. There was no people there. And what they did, because 
Well, the reason the Nazis hated him and feared him at the same time was for one thing. He loved to fight. And when you find a person, whether it's in military or on the street, somebody that just likes to fight, that is the person you don't want to fight. Isn't that right? Because win or lose, they're going to enjoy the battle. Well, that's what you've got to learn to do. You've got to learn to enjoy it. Now, I'm not going to say win or lose, because it's, you know, it's... <clears throat> see, the difference in what we're doing is we can't afford to win some, lose some. Because when we lose some, we lose someone. That's right. So we can't afford it. You know, get all this super spiritual stuff out of your head. This is not about being super spiritual and, and just you know, come, taking what comes. And just, well, you know, I, I would like to win. This, is, this battle is not about you necessarily unless you're the one that's sick. You're fighting for someone else. Just like our soldiers in Iraq. You know, whether you agree or whether you don't agree, I'm not here to debate politics with you. But regardless, I am here to say this. If they are there, they're there because they chose to. And because they chose to be there rather than be here. Which means that we have to learn just like they know that if you're going to fight, take the battle to the enemy. Don't wait till he knocks on your front door. See, that's why we have a whole generation here that's never experienced war because we have guys that in the middle of peace, they train like tomorrow we're going to war. And because they train that way, whenever trouble breaks out, we can put them anywhere in the world within 24 to 36 hours. Now, Christians should get that. Rather than waiting for the devil to come knocking on your door and bring cancer to your door and bring AIDS to your door or sickness to your door, you ought to be able to find it anywhere down your street. And when it's on your street, if it's any house down your street, you ought to go to that house and chase it back ten blocks into somebody else's perimeter. And when you get it out of your area, then let somebody down the street take care of it. But chase it out and don't wait. Because let me tell you, once it gets done at their house, it's not avoiding you. It's going to be at your house next. It's always better to fight on somebody else's turf. Take the battle to them. Don't wait till they bring it to your house. It's much harder whenever you have to face it every day. At least when you go to their house, you can walk off and leave it there. And you can come home to peace. You see, if you don't get a hold of this, you're going to be fighting it every day in your house. And every day when you get up, you're going to look at your loved one. They're going to be in that bed. They're going to be dying. And you're going to have to fight it right then. And it's always harder to fight it whenever you have to look at it every day. See, the, the devil knows that most battles are long and drawn out. And he wants it that way because usually when it's long and drawn out, that's when you get the most deserters. That's when you get people that start quitting, start giving up, because they don't see an end to the battle. Americans are notorious. We want... See, the first Gulf War was picture perfect. It was the perfect American war. Over with in a hundred hours. We want to go in, show a lot of force, get it done, have a lot of big ticker tape parades and come back. And yet we won and it didn't even take a whole week hardly. But we don't like long, drawn-out wars. And that's why most of, the, most of the enemies, both for America and for the Christianity, is that they want long, drawn-out wars. Because you know when it's a long, drawn-out war, there's going to be a certain attrition rate. And so people just quit fighting. You know, you know yourself that whenever you're fighting a battle long enough, after a while you just get tired. But that's whenever other Christians should come to your aid and, and gather around you and lift you up. All right? Now... Back to Patton real quick, because I want to emphasize this. This is now I want you to get this attitude. Believe me, if you get this attitude, you will have to fight less for yourself, and you will fight more for others, right? Which is always better. <clears throat> I, I, I have not had to pray for myself, what, I guess since about 97? About 97, I guess it was. Somewhere around 1997. 1997, 98, I guess it was, somewhere through there. Uh, other than when I broke my foot. Trying to think what year that was. I don't remember what year it was now, but I remember I was 40, so it was seven years ago. 99, I guess it was last time. So, <clears throat> now, it's always better when you, don't have to, when you don't have to fight for yourself and you can take your time and fight for others. It's better that way. Now, whenever what they did was they put Patton into England and started, they put him in a jeep, put him in charge of an army because they knew that there were Nazi spies and they knew that wherever he was, then the spies would find out and the word would go back to Berlin. And so they put him in a jeep and drove him up the coast of England, and everywhere they, they actually watched the Nazi forces on the other side of the channel. And every time he would drive in a jeep up the coast of England to northern England, they could watch the reinforcements, the German forces, on the other side of the channel, they would start to redeploy their forces, and they would have divisions of panzer tanks 
moving up the coast because they thought surely whenever the the because they knew the attack was coming they knew the Normandy or they knew the invasion was coming they just didn't know where and they said surely if the Americans are smart when they invade Patton will be at the head of the attack you see the Nazis were actually smarter than we were to some degree in that area we don't always use our best assets and so they would redeploy all their forces up north so they put now think about this here's where we were pretty smart we put Patton in a jeep that took very little fuel put him in that jeep took him up to the northern coast of England and all of these panzer divisions which took thousands of gallons of diesel and they would redeploy these things hundreds of miles up the coast and then Patton would get in his jeep and he would drive back down England and they would redeploy the tanks back down south and so over a period of a couple of weeks, they wasted hundreds of thousands of gallons of diesel just trying to keep up with where Patton was. Right? So we were using the fuel of a Jeep, and they were using hundreds of fuel for hundreds of Panzer tanks. Right? We were wasting their fuel. Why? But the only reason that worked is because of the reputation that Patton had among the German, you know, their, their, their high command. Now, you say, well, why are you telling us this? Because I want you to get that reputation in hell. You should get to where when you get up and get in your car, hell redeploys their little demons all up and down the highway not knowing where you're going. Amen. And there ought to be red lights going off when you wake up. You know, everybody, man your post. You know, he's up, he's going, he's going down the road. You know, where is he going to stop today? And if you will get, now this may sound absolutely, um, well, unconventional for sure. <clears throat> but generally... Okay, two times in the Bible, I have to preface all this by saying this, two times in the Bible, it refers directly to signs, many other times also, but I'm saying where it talks about signs for us. In Mark chapter 16, it says, believers, these signs shall follow them to believe. Isn't that right? They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So healing is a sign. Believers laying hands on the sick is a sign, right? Now, you go into... First uh, Corinthians chapter 14. And it says that tongues are for what? They're a sign for who? Unbelievers. Right? Not believers. There's, but why? Because the believers are the ones supposed to be speaking in them. Right? So, the, you realize signs are never for believers. Because Jesus said that a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. That's not you. Right? Quit acting like it. Quit talking like you're that part. You're not. You're the believer. Well, I don't know, I don't know if I have enough faith. Yeah, you do. You're a believer. There is never, from actually from uh, what Axon, yeah, from Axon, there is never any reference to any person having to have faith or to get faith. From Axon, all the way through Romans to all of them, it is always a matter of if you're a believer, it is assumed you have faith. It's never a matter of how much faith. It's never never a matter of uh, do I have enough to get it done. Never. Why? Because as a believer, you have enough faith. If you're a believer, you have enough faith. Now, getting saved is the greatest miracle there is. Isn't that right? Amen. Isn't that bigger than healing? Amen. Right? Now, if you, can, if you have enough faith to get saved, and that's bigger than healing, then you obviously have faith for healing. Because right. if you have enough faith for the biggest, obviously... I mean, come on, if i got a $100 bill, can I buy anything that's listed or priced at $10? Right, because the $100 bill is bigger than the 10 right? If I can buy for something for up to 100 then obviously I can buy something for 10 Amen. And if healing is less than, generally thought of, as less than salvation, then if you, can get, if you have faith for salvation, of course you've got faith for healing. Amen. So faith is not the question. You know what the question is? Grit. Are you willing to stand? Are you willing to decide this is the truth? Now, I'll give you an example in a little bit that I guarantee you won't like. Because it, it goes against pretty much everything I was ever taught. Um, but I will prove what I will prove the type of faith that God enjoys. And it's the type of faith that religious people don't like. Right? Now, the reason I'm saying this is because there was talking about signs. I didn't get off. I'm still back there. It says in, in Mark 16 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you've got healing as a sign, you've got tongues as a sign. If they are signed, you can look around in here and we have writing and we have things that we put up in here. But we don't have a billboard for Coke, you know, Coca-Cola or Walmart or anything like that, right? You know, I dare say they haven't 
come through and say, can we put up a sign, can we put up a billboard in here? And the reason being is because in their mind, they might not think that enough people come through here to warrant putting up a sign. Because you want a sign where the most people can see it. Isn't that right? That's why we have billboards on the side of the road and signs up on the side of the road. Because more people pass by there. Right? You're with me so far. Now, that being the case, if signs are supposed to be out where the most people can see it, and if signs, healing, and tongues are for unbelievers, how come the only place we practice them is in church? That's the last place it should be. Right? Nowhere in the Bible does it say for believers to pray for believers, except in James, and even then it's not in the, in the uh, context of a, of a church, of a church building. Of course, there wasn't any at that point, not for another 300 years, just about. But it says that the elders will go to the house, essentially, of the sick person and pray for them there. There's really, do you realize in the early church there really wasn't any healing services? There's no record of a true healing service. There's one example of Paul healing a guy that, that he recognized had faith for healing, as a matter of fact, and he had faith for it and he got it. But there's really no, what, the way we do healing services is really not, we don't have any scriptural reference to them. Right? It's, it's kind of like altar calls. Altar calls are not in the Bible. Not that they're wrong. There's not in the Bible. Right? It's something that uh, Dwight Moody, or actually Charles Finney came up with, and then Dwight Moody helped it a little bit. But it was just a way, it was a, a more effective method of bringing people to a decision. Which, too, you know, we're supposed to bring people to decision, but what's better than bringing people to decision is bringing, bringing them to discipleship. Right? We have a lot of people make decisions, but not disciples. So it's a little bit different there. Now, what we need to do is that's why what I'm teaching you yeah you can do it in a church setting but that's not the context for it this is for street now this goes back to what I was saying earlier about Patton it should be that when you get up in the morning I'm going to have to do a little more groundwork here as long as healing is an event to you you'll never flow in it when it ceases to be an event and becomes a lifestyle, it starts to flow. Right? When it's an event, you say, how do I know it's an event? It's an event as long as it is sporadic and at times. In other words, every Wednesday and Sunday night. Right? As long as you do it Wednesday and Sunday night only, you know, predominantly only, then it's, it's an event and not a lifestyle to you. But whenever it becomes a lifestyle and you do it anywhere you go at any time, then it becomes a lifestyle and you start to see it flow. There's a flow. Right? You'll see more results. And it's like anything else. When you first start, you may not see you're just real steady results. But as the water gets deeper, so to speak, the results will become more and more steady. And... See, there's, there's all kinds of variations, and we got it the rest of today and tomorrow also that we'll be talking about this, and I'll be able to bring these details in. But there are aspects that you need to look at. Now, there is what you do as a choice. You get up in the morning and say, you know what, uh, I don't have to go to work today, so, um, you know, I'm just going to go out to Walmart, hang out, walk around, and look for people to pray for. And you just choose to. That's what I did. That's how I got started. I just went out there and said, I'm going to Walmart to find people to pray for. Because I re- I was upset. Now, you know, Walmart down in the south, Walmart now here, you got to drive a little ways. Okay, Walmart is like next door where you live down in the south. They're all over down there. But And I'm not talking about just Walmart. The reason I use Walmart as an example is because I have prayed in several places for people. Some places I've been stopped or interrupted by security or store personnel. I've never been interrupted or stopped from praying for people at Walmart. All right? Uh, you know, I don't... I don't know if that is by design or what, but they've, they've always been good with us and letting us work. Now, if um, you don't, you can choose, yes, you can choose just to get up and go pray for people and say, well, for example, like Wigglesworth. Wigglesworth made his decision. He said, I'm never going to go to bed without winning one person to Christ every day. Right? And there were times that he'd go home and even go back out after dark and go out and look for someone and wait for someone and he would pray God sends somebody by my path and he'd see somebody and he'd witness to them and get them saved now if healing and salvation is all part of the same thing we could do the same thing with healing 
And that's what I did was I just got up and said, you know what? It doesn't have to be in the church. It should be a, if what I'm doing works, it should work anywhere. And see, that's why when you're in church, you can build all kinds of things around it. Like I said yesterday, a lot of theories. But whenever you see, when you go out to Walmart, you can't pray for somebody and just say, "All right, now just stand in faith." You can't do that because they're going to go, "What do you mean? What, what are you talking?" So see, it comes back on you. That's why the whole context of healing in the church today is we are so far removed from reality of the real world out there. We have our own little church uh, Christian subculture. We have the right words. We have the right terminology. We know how to fit in. We know how to give a certain look. Everything. You know, if I came in here and, and I said, all right, let's take our seats now. Everybody's going to go, he's going to pray. Why? Because you know this. Look, you know the thing. Or, if I stand, or maybe if we go out to eat. And we sit down and, and before we eat, you know, everybody kind of looks around and says, okay, we're going to pray before we eat or not. You know, do I know these people? And if I don't know them, we've got to pray before we eat. And if I do know them, we don't have to. That's, I know that's what you do. I've seen you. And so, you know, okay, that's just what it is. Or, 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 or you do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or you take, you know, you have that, that headache prayer look. You know, where you put your hand on top of your head and you kind of, you get that kind of pain look in your face and, and, and you're really not praying, you're just looking like you're praying, all right? So you have all these looks, all right? Or if I came up here and got down on one knee or, or, or knelt in front of a chair, you would say that's a position of prayer. And you would you have that, that, that attitude. That only works in here. You know, if I say, now you need righteousness. See, you know what I'm talking about. People in the street, they don't know. You know, you, you got there and say, yeah, you know, Jesus was righteous. And they go, yeah, righteous, brother. Hey, righteous, yeah. yeah. They have a whole different concept of the word you're using. And so, one of the first things that we need to do in the church is start to change our terminology into real-life words that people can understand. Right? But the problem is, when you do that and you come back into church, people think, well, you're not too spiritual. You're not using the King James you know, terminology. And that's why the, the Bible I read out of and you know, preach from most of the time is King James because it's more fully accepted. It's you know, pretty accurate. <clears throat> I go into the Greek or the Hebrew when I want to go into the, you know, in, into the words themselves, but... Whenever I'm speaking to people on the street, I don't use words like righteousness and, and salvation and things like that because they have no clue what it means. Or if they do, they have a, usually a wrong clue because they were taught wrong in whatever group they were with. Yeah. And so you just have to... This stuff has to become real. Basically what I'm saying is think militarily. Strip down. You don't go into the field in your dress blues. right? You strip down to what you need, to what you need to carry with you, and you travel light. Right? So we need to get rid of some of the baggage from religion that we have gathered up. Right? But as you go out, you choose. I'm going out today to pray for people. And you set a goal. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Set a goal. And go out and, and say, I'm going to pray for this many people. Or I'm going to go to minister to this many people. And then you go and do it. And at the beginning, you will do it that way. And as you go along, you'll have to set less goals because it will become natural to you. What I'm talking about is developing a habit. Say, but if it's a habit and you do it without thinking, is it still... You know, do you still get credit for it? That's your problem. You're thinking about credit rather than helping people. So, you know, Paul said, if I do these things, he said, you know, if I give my, my goods, I give my body and give my goods and all these things, he said, if I do all of that and I don't have love, it doesn't profit me. It profited the, the people he gave it to, right? So, you can do things for the right motive or the wrong motive. Either way, the people still get help. He said at one point, you know, people preach Christ by envy or by contention. But nevertheless, Christ is preached. Right? See, you're always trying to figure out, well, yeah, but if I'm not led, how do I, if, I, if it's not by the right motive? Do you realize that I, when I can guarantee your motive's not right is when you're analyzing your motives? Why? Because then your mind is totally on you. As long as you're thinking about you, you have not yet touched, even scratched the surface of Christianity. So get your mind off you. Quit trying to be perfect. Quit trying to be fixed before you go help people. You help people, and as you help people, you get fixed. Amen. Right? That's just the way it works. We used to tell people, you know, when you, get, when you were born into this world, you're born with a God-sized hole in you that only God can fill. And I got news for you. When you get born again, you have another hole. You are born again with another hole in you that is service-sized. Amen. And until you begin to serve, 
you will never be fulfilled. That's why you keep chasing after this fad and that fad and this new doctrine and that new doctrine. And you're tossed with every wind that comes along. Because you're, you're trying to fulfill this void of service by other things. And once you start to serve, you, be, you become fulfilled. It changes everything. Now, you know, we here in the church, we will... Um, it's kind of funny how we, we think. Because I always call it the backwards church because we do things backwards every time. And you give you an example. If you went out to witness, let's say we gather a group up and we go out to witness to people. And you go out and you tell them, you need to get saved, you need to get right with God, give your heart to Christ. If you just give your heart to Him, you know, and He'll change your life, He'll, he'll save you. And the, usually what they'll say is, well, well you know, I've I, I got to get my life fixed up. I've got to get it cleaned up before I can come to Christ. I mean, I'm in no shape. And you hear that, and you know when you hear that, your spirit just cringes. Because you're thinking, no, you don't get it. You can't fix yourself up to come to Him. Coming to Him is fixing you up. That's what fixes you, is coming to Him. Isn't it right? And finally, let's say you do it good enough that you get this person convinced, they, they get converted, and they start coming to church. And so here they are sitting there, and, and you, you know, even trying to get them convinced at, at some point, you'll be telling them, you know, well, they'll, they'll tell you, well, you know, I, I just I have too many problems in my life, and, and man, my life is messed up. And you're like, no, you don't get it. You can't fix yourself. It's all by grace. It's not by works. If you could fix yourself up, you wouldn't need Christ. So it's by grace. It's absolute grace. Just, just throw yourself on His mercy and come in. Isn't that right? Isn't that what we tell them, basically? Change your life. Now, they get in the church. We convince them. They're converted. They come in. They've been sitting there about two or three weeks. Somebody comes in preaches on healing. And says, God wants to heal. Healing's in the atonement. He wants to heal you. He wants to set you free. And if you want to be healed, then line up up front. And so, the old boy back there has been saved about three weeks. Still got all kinds of problems, right? Maybe he's got habits or things that he's been trying to break, knows better, but yet it's still there. And so finally he goes, you know, I, I got some problems. I got some physical things I want healed. So he walks out in front and here's, you know, we come down the line. Okay, well, what, what about you? Well, I have this disease. I have this problem. Okay, well, and then we go through our checklist. Well, are you saved? Yeah. Uh, are, are you baptized in the Holy Ghost? Yeah. Uh, okay, is there any sin in your life? Well, yeah, there surely is. What? Sin in your life? Go sit down, you dirty dog. You ain't getting healed. <laughs> to get the sin out of your life. Isn't it right? Now think about that. When they're on the street, it's all by grace. We get them in the church, it's all by works. You see how we do it at different... So we, we, we do things backwards and, and, and it'd be better for the person to stay out in the street as a sinner. Because at least then God might show mercy and heal him just to show him he's God. Isn't that right? But that's the way we think. That once we get him in church now, bless God, as soon as you walk in that door and you say you're saved, you better live up to the standard that I set for you. Isn't that right? Rather than trying to help them grow into discipleship. You know, I'm, I'm not saying... Now, now, understand this. When we talk about sanctification, we're talking about a, a consistent separation from sin. Alright? In the early church, they taught a pretty clear message on it. In the latter days now, we tend to have gotten away from it quite a bit. And in the early church, sanctification meant, bam, death. You died to that thing, and that thing had no more uh, control over you. Not that you weren't tempted, right? Because temptation can come, but you did not yield to it. The battle sometimes was in the not yielding. Not in the yielding and then the battle to get back. See, that's what we've done. Now, sanctification should not be... Here's Our definition of sanctification today has become, well, if I get saved, I should sin less and less. That's not necessarily the definition that we should be operating under. We should operate under with death to sin, right? And the temptation bothers us less and less. Now, I'm not saying you won't be tempted, but the battle with it is less. Do you understand? That's sanctification. See, just like the Israelites, when they came across the Jordan River, you know why he told them to go way on in? Because as long as they were close to that river, there was always a chance to go back over the other side to Egypt. Our problem is, we get over, in, over Jordan, we get into the Promised Land, and we don't go on into the Promised Land. We hang around right at the river, and we slip back over into Egypt every chance we get, because we know that as we come back to that river Jordan, we get washed up and cleaned up, and we got forgiveness. And so we have a different opinion and a different view of sin. You need to realize that sin is bondage and it kills. Right? right? right. Now, 
You say, what's that got to do with healing? It's got this to do with it. First off, and I've already told you, you don't have to be perfect before God will use you. But let me tell you, you do not want to be living in sin and God using you. You understand what I mean? I'm not talking about making mistakes. I'm talking about living in sin and yet God using you because when you stand before God, you're going to have absolutely no excuse. I've had people, had a matter of fact, a minister one time. I was at his church. We were having some, we'd been at another church ministering. And he invited me over to speak on a Sunday morning. So I went over and afterwards he said, let's go out to eat. So we got in his truck and went to eat. And on the way, he, he said, I wanted to get you by myself here because I want to talk to you a little bit. And he said, brother, I just want to share with you. He said, you just, I have one word of warning. He said, I don't see this in you, but always be careful. Don't get into pride. I thought, okay. I said, well, have you heard the message? Because the message that I preach, for the most part, precludes pride. Because I come in and I say that you can do whatever I can do. See, the old message was a person gets anointed. And you can't do what the anointed person can do. Now, that message leads to pride. Because it lifts that person up. The message that I'm preaching precludes it. Because how can I get into pride if you can do what I can do? Right? See, all, and all I'm doing here behind the pulpit is I'm just doing my job. Right? There's nothing to be proud about. It. It's just you do your job. Now, and so, as he said that, it stuck with me. Because he said, you know, there's some things, you know, he said, we've been hearing your name a lot and this kind of stuff. And he said, be easy to get in pride. And he said, I know because God, well, one time God was really using me. And I got into pride. And I, and I told him, I said, well, what message were you preaching? You know, what, you know, where were you at? At that point, and he had some things going on, and, and the basic message at that time would have led to pride pretty easily. And the reason I'm saying this is because if God uses you, and He will, it doesn't mean anything, right? Just because He uses you does not mean you're something. It doesn't even mean that you were right, right? Just because He may use you to raise the dead doesn't mean your doctrine's right. Right? I can point back to people in the church that had some really weird doctrine and God used them to do some miraculous things. Now, were they saved or not? I hope so. I don't know. I'm not their judge. But just because God uses you does not mean that the doctrine is necessarily right. right? The only thing that means that is, that the, is what you're saying lining up with the Bible. Because if you just went by signs and wonders, you're going to be easily led astray by somebody that just has power in the spiritual realm. So you have to analyze what's said according to Scripture, right? And now if what you're saying is according to Scripture, then there should be acts of power backing it up, confirming the Word, right? But there are, and it even says that in the end times there are going to be lying signs and wonders and different things. But let me tell you this, people say, see, we, you know, Jesus himself said, not everybody says, Lord, Lord. And he says, you know, there's going to be people, people that do come to him saying, Lord, didn't we do these things in your name? And didn't we do all these mighty things and, and all this stuff? And he said, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. And people that do not believe in healing for today will say, see, right there, if you're doing signs and wonders, that's who he's talking about. No, the people that are saying that, what that proves is that signs and wonders are going to be so prevalent among the church that it's going to be a common thing for believers to be healing the sick to the point where people are going to be in the church and even signs and wonders going on, and yet they still be in sin. See, people say, well, but, but the Bible didn't say they actually did them. It just said that they said that. And yet Jesus said, he didn't, I do not believe that people are going to stand before Jesus at the, at the judgment and bold-faced lie. I think everything's going to be known. I think it's going to be pretty apparent, right? It's not going to be none of this, well, we think, or he said, she said, that kind of stuff. It's going to be, this is what was done. And I believe it's going to be pretty apparent. So, the thing is, God will use you. God used Judas. It said that Jesus sent the twelve out, and the twelve returned, right? Saying, Lord, even the, the devils, even the demons, are subject to us through your name. So, and yet, Jesus even said at one point that he was a devil from the beginning. Isn't that right? So, he had this problem all along. Now, there was a point where you know, the, the enemy came into him, obviously. But, the idea here is that a person can be used of God and not be right. Right? Why? Because God loves people. And just because He uses you doesn't mean you're right. It just means you were there. 
Right? It means you were available. That's all it means. So how can you get, you know, puffed up or in pride over it? Just do your job. See, we have all these people. we got people running around the country right now. You know, I'm an apostle. I'm a prophet. I'm this. I'm that. Wonderful. But is the fruit there? Because if the fruit's there, most of the time you don't have to say it. People will say it about you. And, you know, and that's generally the way it should be a lot of times. Now, at the same time, people run around saying all this stuff and being... You know, if people really read what an apostle is, I don't think there'd be that many people trying to claim it. That's right. Because, right? I mean, Paul gave the quali- his qualifications for an apostle included shipwreck and being hungry and not having everything go easy for him and, you know, and being in perils of robbers and all that stuff. And yet, today, you know, the, the qualification of being an apostle is having the biggest car in town, the nicest house, the biggest church, the biggest this thing, and a network of churches under you, and that's how they decide if they're apostles or not. And that's not biblical. Biblical, the apostle was the chief servant. Right? He was, he was an equipper, a facilitator, what do you want to call it. And he, he didn't draw attention to himself as much as he tried to push up the body of Christ. And so we have to get back to, to that point to realize that the, the heart of this, and you say, what has this got to do with healing? It's got to do with a mindset. Because once you realize that the more people you help, the, 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 if you're doing... See, People want to be apostles and prophets without fulfilling the basics of being a believer. Right? It's like, well, I want to be president of the United States, but I'm not, you know, I'm not a citizen here. Well, then we got a problem. Right? Go back and do the first things first, and when you go through that, then we'll see about you being president. Right? But we got people who want to be apostles that are not even acting like believers. Because believers will lay hands on the sick. They're going to cast out devils. They're going to raise the dead. They're going to preach the gospel. They're going to you know, speak in new tongues. All these things. They're going to drink deadly things and it won't by any means hurt them. All these things are going on. And yet people haven't even done that and yet they've got apostolic networks and churches under them and everything else and they haven't even done the works of a believer. Let alone an apostle. Right? So we have to get back to the basics first. Do that. You know, would to God that the church had a boot camp <laughs> that everybody could just go through. Right? From the beginning. You know, you get, okay, you're saved. Well, okay, we need to send you Right over here, and you'll be there for eight weeks, and when you come out, or ten weeks, or whatever it is, and when you come back, then you come back, when you finish there and you graduate, then come back here. Yeah? Because believe me, in the early days of church, it wasn't the same. In the early days of church, you didn't just show up at church. Because they were all hidden. They, the people didn't know where they were meeting. They were meeting in houses. And you know, when you went into a new city, when you went in there, they would, they would go into the marketplace, and if you were a Christian, you didn't walk around going, excuse me, where's the church meeting? You know, where, where's the church meeting at tonight? Because where, where, they didn't know if, you know, you, hey, you may be working for Saul. You know, you may be coming in to try to find us and take us into prison. So you, the doors weren't, you know, they wouldn't have a big sign over the front saying, come on in. Everybody welcome. They, they would stand in the marketplace and they would take a stick or something. They'd draw a fish in the dirt. And somebody walked by and see that and they'd go, oh, I, I notice you're a Christian. You know, I see the fish. And they'd say, well, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Who are you? Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a believer from such and such town, and I'm in here on business, and I'll be here a couple of days, and I wanted to fellowship with the saints. Really? Okay, well, I'll tell you what. You meet me here this afternoon, because church starts tonight at 7. We're going to get together at 7, and, uh, but we're gonna, you meet me here at 6. Okay, and they meet there at 6. And they say, okay, where are we going to go to? Where are we, where are we meeting tonight? Well, we're not going straight there. And this is a fact. I, I, I can show you the records from the early church fathers, both in... Uh, the Shepherd of Irma's, which was a book that was passed around. It's not, it's not uh, scripture, but it is a record of what was practiced. Uh, in the Archco volume, which is definitely not scripture, but certain records and different things talk, brought from different places. So there's, uh, even in the Apostolic Fathers, you see reference to what I'm referring to right now. But as they would get together, they'd say, okay, uh, we're going to go to church, but before we go there, there's a person over here that's sick that has called us to come pray for him. So we're going to go by there. And when they go there, they'd say, Hi, this is so-and-so. And they say, This is a believer from out of town. So I tell you what, you do the honors. You pray. And if they got well, you got to go to church. And if they didn't, you weren't a believer. So you didn't get to go to church. Now, now imagine if you had that kind of... Imagine if we had somebody at the... We had a bunch of sick people at the front door. And before you could come in, you had to pray for somebody and get them healed to prove you're a believer and not a spy. Imagine that. You see 
Now, now you know why the early church was the way they were. Now you know why the church in China, the underground church, is so strong. Amen. See, the enemy knows. The best way to, to soften the church up, take away persecution. When you take away persecution, the church gets soft. Under persecution, the church tightens up. Things work better. And so, and, and I'm sure you've heard the story, and I've got to send you to break here. i got maybe a minute here before I send you. But you probably heard the story about the church. I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. I've heard different versions of it. And I want to say it was in Russian. It was in Russia. I believe it was. Um, but they, were all, they all came together. They were all having church. The pastor was beginning the message. And it was an underground church. And two soldiers came in in uniform. And when they came in... They told everybody they had their guns, their uniforms, the whole bit. And they said, everybody against the wall. And they said, all Christians, you get against that wall. Now, you have a choice. If you're not a Christian, you leave right now. It's okay. But all Christians against that wall. And several of the people got up and left. And the other people got up against the wall. When they got up against the wall, finally the pastor to- or the uh, soldiers told them, took off their hats, laid down their guns, said, okay, pastor, all the unbelievers are gone. Now you can preach. Now imagine, imagine what, because at that point, People either denied Christ or they were not believers at all. all right? Now imagine, see, we have no concept. You know, we, we talk a lot about this stuff. And, and I, for one, I'm very much against mixing politics and religion. Because right? every time you do that, you end up with national socialism or some type of thing that ends up not good. All right? But I am very much for bringing militarism. Militancy would probably be a better word. No, militarism is good too. Uh, into the church. Because the whole basis of Christianity is discipline. You're called a disciple. Okay. If you do not have discipline, you are not a disciple. That's the root word. Alright? It's simple as that. Now, what level of discipline, all that can be debated. But I want to emphasize to you that at some point, you're going to have to decide to begin to live what you say you believe. Right? It does, it's not enough to go along with the church and say, well, but, but what well, we believe this. We believe in laying hands on the sick. Really? When have you laid hands on the sick? Well, well, we did it last week. What do you mean we? Well, I was in the church service and the elders did it last week. Okay. If you're not... See, I know this is deep theology right here, but stay with me. If you're not doing it, you're not doing it. Alright? You don't get a group benefit award. Right? Well, our church does it, so I did it. No, if you're not doing it, you're not doing it. That's right. Amen? So, to be a believer, to lay hands on the sick, your hands have to touch somebody. Right? And I don't mean from the back of the room where you're like, yes, Lord, he'll help them heal them. Right? I'm not talking about that. You need to be with people, helping people. Amen?